Glad that you're here uh, this morning. This is such a special time, this time of the year, right? For believers. Easter is coming up. Resurrection Sunday next week. And this week is Palm Sunday. Um, it's pageant season where I came from in the, the life that I lived as a worship pastor, a music minister. If you come from any kind of uh, larger church, you know that around Christmas and around Easter and this week, there's giant programs that go on. You know, we reenact the crucifixion, you reenact the, maybe the Lord's Supper, or you reenact whatever it is, Palm Sunday, as Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And um, it's exhausting. <laughs> but the thing is, it's a celebration, right? We are celebrating something. This week is Palm Sunday. Uh, you may have heard this week called the Passion Week or Holy Week. From this Sunday, which is Palm Sunday, through next Sunday, which is Easter or Resurrection Sunday. Um, Today is Jesus. uh, We're going to talk about this morning Jesus entering Jerusalem and he goes to the temple. And later in this week, uh, later this week, he has the Passover meal, uh, which we, we celebrate as the Lord's Supper with his disciples and then his arrest. And then Good Friday, uh, where he's put on the cross. And then Sunday, and the empty tomb, the resurrection. And all week, it's the message of salvation, the message of hope, right? And so this and next, this Sunday and next Sunday, we'll unpack really the heart of what the gospel is. We'll look at the life of Jesus. We'll look at this week in Jesus' life, and we'll see what is all the hoopla about. What is the celebration about? Today, we're going to spend a few moments looking at Jesus and the disciples as they enter into Jerusalem, which is called often the triumphant entry, right, here on Palm Sunday, and exactly what is so triumphant about it. So we're going to look in Luke chapter 19, the Gospel of Luke, uh, beginning in verse 28 uh, through 44, I'll read here. And it says this, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, this is Jesus speaking, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say this, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he had told them, And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, 
had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Let's pray. Father, speak through your word this morning, through your spirit. Holy Spirit, speak in this place that we might know your heart, that we might know your will and obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we call this Palm Sunday because you don't see it in this passage, but in the Gospel of John, his account of this same event in John 12, 13, says that in that when they were throwing their coats down before Jesus, they also took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So they were throwing coats in front of him. They were throwing palm branches in front of him, which was typical, it was traditional of like the entrance of a king or a conqueror that would come into a city. And so the title of the, the, this morning's message is Jesus is Shalom. Right, the Hebrew, the Hebrew word meaning peace, harmony, wholeness or completeness, even prosperity, welfare, and tranquility. You'll hear many Jewish people uh, use it as a greeting or a, or a farewell. You know, shalom. And a lot of uh, us that don't necessarily speak Hebrew a lot will say, "Peace out." We'll say peace. You ever say that? We used to say deuces. That was like, peace out, I'm out. Anyway, um, there's, a, there's a universal understanding when we leave, right? We're, we're, we're telling someone, peace be with you, right? Because there's a universal understanding that peace is desirable. Peace is a necessity. We all pursue peace in some form or fashion. It's a good thing, and so we... Greet one another with that. This morning, as we look at this passage, this event, and we look past this party that's going on, we'll see the heart of Christ, the purpose in why Jesus came to those in Jerusalem and to you and to I and to the whole world, the gift that he brought, the gift that he purchased, this shalom, this peace, not simply an easy life, not just Uh, financial or material prosperity or the lack of trials, but true peace in the deepest place of who we are. Without peace, we find turmoil. We find confusion. We find brokenness and lostness. And if you look around the world today, just as Jesus looked over Jerusalem, we see that all over our city, all over our nation, all over the world, a lack of peace. And so as we look at this, passage of scripture it's an interesting one because you know we see jesus coming into jerusalem on the week of the passover right hundreds of thousands of pilgrims some have said that the uh, population of jerusalem was over two million during uh, passover week this this pilgrimage to the city for this festival and the observance and celebration of the time when god delivered the children of israel from the oppression and slavery in egypt where God commanded them, you remember, to place the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and, and, and the angel of death would pass over their home, sparing uh, the firstborn son and in turn bringing judgment on Pharaoh in Egypt. 
and ultimately freeing the Israelites from that slavery. And so it's a time of celebration for them. And they are called to make this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so Jesus is doing that. He's fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy as well in Zechariah 9.9 that says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so they were celebrating the arrival of the, the king, and everything they did pointed to that. The palm branches symbolizing victory and triumph, right? The crying out of Hosanna, which is God save. This type of pro, pro, procession with Jesus coming in uh, to the city is similar to that of a conquering warrior or king, right? Coming uh, as victor, entering the city. Although there's a sharp contrast here to those because Jesus came in humbly on a donkey with a ragtag group of fishermen. And yet they were crying out, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They were giving praise and adoration. Their deliverer had come, but not exactly how they had expected necessarily. Not to deliver the Israelites from Rome, but to bring salvation, to bring peace To conquer, yes, but a a much more deadly and dangerous power, and that's the power of sin and death. He came to do that for you and for me this morning. And in the middle of this celebration, there's so much we can just sit in and talk about this morning, but I want us to look at verse 41. It says, and when he drew near to the city, he wept over it. Why in the middle of this shouting, this joy, this celebration, this love, adoration, they're calling him their king? Why is Jesus weeping? He knew what was to come. He knew in a few days these same ones crying out, blessed is he and Hosanna and our king is come. They would be calling out, crucify him. And the disciples would hide and deny they even knew him. Now, Scripture tells us of three times that Jesus wept. One is recorded right here as he looks over Jerusalem. The other is in John 11, uh, 35. It says that Jesus wept over Lazarus when he heard of his friend's death. And then in the book of Hebrews, it looks back and tells us of a time when Jesus wept when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Interestingly enough, though, there's two words used. This word that's used in Lazarus' um, death and at, at that time is the, 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 the word for a moderate sadness. There's a completely different word used in this passage. It's a much stronger word. In fact, it's the strongest word in the Greek language for weeping. It's equal to our word sobbing, heaving, an agonizing, wrenching expression of sorrow. No stronger word exists in the Greek language for that. So Jesus comes through this celebration and he looks over the city and begins to sob. The city, Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, the city of peace. That's what the name means, Jerusalem. But was it? When Jesus looked over the city, he saw the opposite of peace. 
He saw classism. He saw racism. He saw the divide and hatred between Jew and Gentile and Samaritan. He saw the Roman hatred for the people. He saw the religious taking the honored seats and the needy and undesirable left to fend for themselves, laying around the pool of Bethesda where the rejected, uh, the rejected were and no respected citizen would find themselves. And he was brokenhearted because he knew they would reject the solution, the answer himself because they didn't know, as he said, what leads to peace. And so today, if you know anything about Jerusalem, you know it's anything but peaceful. It's become a city of conflict for centuries. And just 40 years later, Jesus talked about that right here. Jesus prophesied here that Rome would even destroy it. It would flatten the temple, only leaving the western wailing wall standing, which still stands. See, what Jesus saw, though, was beyond all that. He saw to the heart of the matter, the rejection of the Savior, the rejection of the Messiah, the rejection of redemption, the Father's love, and what would result in the rejection of peace. He said, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that met that make for peace. And yet he continued. He, he went on from here to the cross to bring peace, to pay the price for our sins. His mission wasn't thwarted. He didn't sit there. He wasn't weeping because they had messed his mission up. He was still on mission. He was not defeated. And that's not why he wept. He wept because he was moved with compassion. He was moved with mercy and love. This is important. I mean, look at Jesus' reaction to all of this. Just as an aside, it kind of convicted me. As Jesus looked over the city of Jerusalem, he was weeping and sobbing because of their lostness. What is our reaction? What is your reaction today? When you look at New York City, when you look at your neighborhood, when you look at the United States, what's your reaction? You want to take up the sword like Peter, right? Start cutting off somebody's ear or whatever. Jesus sobbed. I pray that your heart breaks for your lost friends and neighbors, that your heart breaks for, for your city, for your nation, for the world, because of the lostness, because of the peace that does not exist. So Jesus pauses. And it's the cause of peace that moves Jesus here. So what does it mean to have true shalom, true, true peace? The English translation is narrow, right? The English transi- translation for peace is, is more like the absence of the conflict of war, right? To be without conflict and war. The Hebrew meaning and the, the Greek version of it is to make something whole, to bring completeness. So what is it about this peace that moved Jesus so much? What was the peace that he had brought that they were rejecting? First of all, it was the peace with God. Jesus came to bring peace with God. This word shalom in the Hebrew in the Old Testament is represented here um, in the, the Greek word irene, which is one of the words and images for salvation in the New Testament. 
And so as Jesus looks over the rebellious, broken Jerusalem, he knows that he came first and foremost to reconcile all things, to reconcile you and me to himself. We get caught up in the struggles around us. We get caught up in the lack of peace and we sing songs about peace on earth and all those things. First and foremost, Jesus came to bring peace between you and your creator. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, that's the same word that Jesus uses here, by the blood of his cross. Peace, true peace, begins with reconciliation with God Almighty. See, within every one of us rages a war. A war with our Creator. A war with God. Now, we don't see it that way. You know, a lot of people would say, well, you know, there are other things in my life that are causing this, these problems, this restlessness, this tension that I have, this lack of meaning and purpose. If I could just find it in these other things, that would be, then I would be okay. I would get better. But listen, all of our restlessness, all of our hopelessness is founded in this conflict between myself and God. And the thing is, God did not create this conflict. God did not initiate it. God's desire is peace with you. He continues to reach out to you. Today, he reaches out to you. And yet, we continue to launch an attack on God himself. Scripture puts it like this in Romans chapter 8, verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Hostility towards God. Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. See, the wording he uses here is enemies, hostile towards God. There is a conflict. There is a war going on. But God has over and over again since the Garden of Eden been pursuing you and pursuing us. He's been reaching out. He reached out through the nation of Israel, through the prophets, through the scripture, through the law, his spirit drawing and calling us. And Jesus is the final pinnacle of that pursuit. We see in Romans 5, 1, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, faith in Jesus Christ, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came to bring peace with God Almighty. The unblemished Lamb of God. When Jesus got to the cross, this week as he goes, he makes his way to the cross. He's tortured, he's beaten, he's hung on the cross. He sheds his blood for your sin and for my sin so that we can be holy before the Father. We can be reconciled and redeemed before God Almighty. Before he bowed his head and gave up his spirit, he said, It is finished. The pursuit is finished. Now, His Holy Spirit continues to pursue us and draw us, but it is to the cross of Christ. Jesus is drawing us, is calling us. Jesus tore the veil of separation in the temple, said it is finished. God made a way for peace with Him. And Jesus knew that they would reject Him. 
The question for you this morning is, do you have peace with God? That is the most important question in your life. Do you have peace with God? Have you come to Christ for salvation through faith in Jesus? Have you come to that place where you've trusted him for your sin, admitting that you're a sinner, saying, God, I know that I am in conflict with you because I have been running my own race, but you created me. I confess my sin and I trust you for my salvation, for my righteousness, because I cannot be holy on my own. That's what God calls us to do. And what Jesus did on the cross takes care of making you holy, takes care of making you and I righteous. Or are you still fighting? Are you living and searching in all the temporary passings, things, surface issues of life? Give up the fight today. First and foremost, to find peace is to have peace with God. Svetlana Stalin, the daughter of Joseph Stalin, tells a story about her father, who was the once leader of the Soviet Union, who in the 1930s until his death uh, had more than a million of his own citizens uh, murdered through the great purge in which he removed everyone who disagreed and opposed his ideas, you know, uh, what he called socialism in one country, and which included belief in any God. He, he persecuted and did terrible things. But according to his daughter, daughter, as he lay dying in his deathbed, plagued with hallucinations, he suddenly sat halfway up in his bed, clenched his fist towards the heaven once more, and then fell back on his pillow and died. The war was still raging in Stalin. He was not giving it up. He went to his deathbed fighting with God. Unfortunately, he lost that fight. See, Jesus came to bring peace with God, for all who will confess Jesus as Lord, for all who will put their faith in what Christ did on the cross. Not only in this life we have peace, but we're promised peace in the life to come. So I ask you this morning, will you swing out into eternity shaking your fist at God? That's not His will. 1 John 2, 2 says, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. This morning, will you say, yes, God, I want peace with you through Christ. So this word for peace means more than this, this absence of this war, right? It also means completeness, wholeness. That brings us to the next point. Jesus came to bring peace within, peace within you and within me. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you. The same word that Jesus used right here. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. See, Jesus came to bring peace to our troubled, fearful hearts. See, for some of us, the war has been won. We have put our faith in Christ, right? But the battle still rages, this daily battle still rages because we live in fallen bodies. We live in a fallen world with other fallen people. And so there will be trouble. Jesus said there's going to be trouble all around you. But that he came to bring peace in the midst of that struggle. Peace is not the guarantee of no struggle. It is confidence. It is completeness in the midst of the struggle. Jesus looks over Jerusalem. He saw the people of God, the Jewish 
people who God reached out to and through, who led, who he led out of the captivity in Egypt. He led through the Red Sea across the Jordan into the promised land. He revealed himself through the prophets and the law and had been faithful to his promise to bring a savior and yet they rejected him. They chose self. They chose politics. They chose nationalism. They chose power, religion, tradition, self-preservation over peace. They were conflicted. Remember Nicodemus who came, was a religious leader. He came to Jesus at night. He knew there was something to Jesus. He knew that what he had found was not it. The religion was, it was more than religion. Remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus? said, what must I do to have eternal life? He was very religious. He had done it all, but he knew something was missing. And listen, this is not just an indictment on the Jewish people. This is on all mankind. God chose to to move through the children of Israel to demonstrate himself to us and to demonstrate us to us. Every single person, every race, every culture has chosen self over God. And that is what has killed peace in the world and in each of us. There are a lot of Christians walking around in turmoil, unable to rest in the promises of Christ. Paul talked about it in Galatians that we remember we just went through. He talked about don't go again to live in bondage according to the elementary principles of the world. What are you trusting in today? Believer, where are you fixing your eyes? Listen, in my life, I look back in my life for a long time. I prayed a prayer as a young boy, seven years old. But somehow in my life, I kept the fight going. I kept the fight going, the struggle for what I want as opposed to what Jesus wanted for me. I, I accepted Jesus. I didn't want to be punished. I didn't want to live forever apart from God. And I, I wanted to be saved, all those things. But I wanted to live life my way. And I wanted to live according to the desires of my flesh. I was, I was conflicted. That's not the abundant life Jesus has promised. He's promised to give us peace. The answer to that way of living is more Jesus. Isaiah 26, 3 says this, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Listen, the answer is fix your heart and mind on Christ today. One of the greatest challenges in our culture is mental health today. We see it every day in some some of the most extreme cases up and down our streets in New York City. But what we don't often see is the struggle that many are in that keep it hidden, who mask the loneliness and depression that, that touches Most of us at one point or another, and we turn to destructive things that just mitigate our suffering. If we can just mitigate it, if we can just take this or do that just to find some temporary relief in some obvious ways, but also in seeking acceptance and love in destructive ways, abusive relationships, in our careers, in our bank accounts, and expecting Other people to be what they were never created to be for us. Jesus knew as he looked over the city. He said, if you only knew what makes for peace. 
What makes for peace within is the confidence and security of knowing, listen, I am loved. I am created in the image of a loving father who sees and knows me. His promises are true. He has a plan for me. He cares for me. When the rest of the world turns its back on me, God never leaves. He saw, Jesus saw in Jerusalem, that same struggle. Jesus came to bring that peace. Peace with God, peace within, and finally peace with one another. As I was studying uh, this passage the last couple of weeks, and I began to, I go down these rabbit trails sometimes, and was looking at Passover and the Jewish traditions there, and then Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and how the modern day Jewish person views these observances today. I was interested in that, and the interesting thing that I read is, is most of the time they describe these, these celebrations as opportunities for community. Passover, for instance, is the releasing of the Jewish people into the world to do good. And Rosh Hashanah, which is the beginning of uh, the Jewish New Year and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, is described as, as man saying to God, give me one more year to make a difference and to do good. And they would say, and I've read, uh, some would say in contrast that the Christian sees Easter and the observance of the Lord's Supper as ways to get out of a broken world. The focus of being an individual and getting to heaven myself rather than being a good neighbor. But see, that's not correct. Maybe it's our fault that a lot of people see it that way. That demonstrates a fundamental misunderstanding of the gospel. If that's what you think it is, then maybe you don't know the gospel. See, Jesus came to restore us to himself, to take the punishment, right, for our sinfulness. But, the, but that peace comes with a gift, the Spirit of God and the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, we discussed that a few weeks ago in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. This is God. This is the evidence of God in my life, the fruit of His Spirit in my life. And it should be evident in every one of us as followers of Christ. The result of peace with God and the peace that He gives within is peace with those around me. Now listen, we live in a fallen world, right? So we can't act for others. We can't make decisions for others. We can't respond for others. So there will be those difficult relationships. There will be some strained relationships. Remember, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, if possible, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So on my own, I don't have that gene. I don't have that peaceable gene. None of us do. If you agree with me, great. If we get along naturally, great. But if, we, if there's something that is conflict between us, if there's something that brings tension, then I'm, I'm not good with peace. I have that pride gene, that self-centered gene. But in Christ and in His Spirit moving through me, I have a new way of thinking. I have a new way of acting. Paul wrote in Ephesians 2.14, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one 
and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. See, he's talking to the Jewish believers there and the Gentiles. And he said, listen, there used to be a wall between. There used to be a conflict between, a stress between. Jesus has broken that down. That wall of hostility has been removed between us. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. We reflect our Father I find it interesting that Jesus at this moment, like I said before, saw the city full of brokenness, confusion, rebellion, and some of it in the name of God. And he knew what was to come. He knew his arrest, his torture, his murder was to come. And yet he wept with the burden, not for himself, but for the very ones who would be responsible for it. That is the peace that Jesus brings in us. One of the things that makes me cringe in this increasingly divided nation and world is how we as Christians have positioned ourselves in the culture wars that are going on. It's out of, a, out of a, what we call desperation to keep our freedoms, right? To keep our rights. Where is our peace Peace that's not dependent on the White House or the mayor or the Internet or anything else. And yet we just throw our hats right in the middle of some of the most vile debates and conversations. Listen, Christian, this is an opportunity not to stand and shake our fists, but to demonstrate the confidence that we have because we have peace with God. We come across just as thirsty as anyone else to be heard Right? That's where we find our confidence. It's not. When's the last time you wept over the lostness of your neighbors? Listen, it's not that we're not supposed to have our convictions, right? Our perspectives. It is how we demonstrate hope and peace and love and joy even in those discussions. Your point doesn't matter as much as demonstrating the spirit in your life. Because we discovered the secret. The secret that everyone else, that's driving everyone else, the hatred, the bitterness, doesn't drive us. Our wagons aren't hitched to those things. There should be a confident peace. When our kids were young, we used to go on Black Friday. On Friday after Thanksgiving, you would go and shop. That's when all the deals, but now it's all, they got it weeks before or something, I don't know. But it used to go that day, and you get up before the sun came up, and you would go to the store, and you wait in line, the doors would open, everybody would go in, you just dive on the pile, you know? It was insane. I hated it. I refused. Tony was great at it. But you know, we get that way. Every Facebook post or every headline, it's a feeding frenzy. I want to get the last G.I. Joe doll. I want to make my point. Have you ever thought this time in our culture and in the world may be one of the greatest opportunities in history to show what it means to really have peace that passes understanding? Nobody, listen, nobody cares what you have to say. They don't. Maybe your mom. Nobody cares. 
Everybody who agreed with you will continue to agree with you. Everyone who disagreed with you will continue to disagree with you on these, on these platforms that we engage in. If you don't have a relationship with somebody, they don't really care what you have to say. Build a relationship with someone who disagrees with you. Reach out. Put yourself out there beyond your comfort zone. If you've received Christ and given your life to him, your life should be a ray of light to your neighbor's Your life should be a benefit, a blessing to those around you, to your community, to our nation, to the world. Again, don't go out of here. Some of you just put that in the back of your head and say, oh, Pastor Steve says we're not supposed to even take a stand. Or say, I'm not saying any of that. You know, exactly, you know exactly what I'm saying. You've all been in those conversations or been tempted to jump in one of those conversations in your flesh. There should be something else in you. That's what Paul says when he says, when it's possible, when it comes to you, be a different kind of person. Say what you think in a different kind of way, knowing that you represent Christ and that you have a peace. And you know what? If everything catches on fire tomorrow and gets destroyed, guess what? I have peace. I'm going to stand face to face with my Savior one day in paradise. This world can't take that from me. And so I'm going to be obedient to love those around me. I mean, Jesus on the cross, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's a different kind of peace. You talk about peace on earth and peace with your neighbors and all those things, and many people would embrace it. Yes, unity, harmony. However, when we try to do it without Jesus, it it fails. Because we pick and choose what makes us feel good. Those people that deserve it. And listen, any good thing you try to do on your own will result in hate. It just will. It's inevitable. Do you know anybody today who talks about love and hates? That is not what Jesus is talking about. Not what he came to bring. And that's proof that his peace is not present. C.S. Lewis said, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. And that's what, exactly what Jesus came to bring. Came to bring us peace. A few days after his entrance into Jerusalem on Thursday, Jesus gathered with his disciples. They prepared and shared the Passover meal together, which is the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. As they sat around the table, Jesus was describing a little bit of what was to come. And he says this in John 16. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Take heart. I have overcome the world. Come to me. Trust in me. Press into me. I am that thing. I am that one who makes for peace. As Christ looks on your heart this morning, as he looked over Jerusalem, what is he saying? Is he saying, oh, if you only knew, if you would only accept, if you would only put your faith in what makes for peace, Jesus 
Do you have peace with God? Have you accepted what Jesus did on the cross as payment for your sin? His sacrifice to remove the barrier between you and a holy God. I, I, I implore you today, put your faith in Him. It is everything. Are you living with peace within? It, Christian, is your mind stayed on Him? When you're making space, when you're making your calendar, when you're making your priorities, where is setting your mind on Him? Time in His Word. Time... Reflecting on his promises, spending time in prayer. Sometimes in prayer, you know, we sit down to pray and we go, I just don't have anything to say. Well, maybe God's just saying, be quiet. Listen. Just sit and listen. Spend some time in the word and then listen and see what God brings to your heart and to your mind. Focus on him. And finally, are you an instrument of peace with those around you? Are you sensitive, sensitive and obedient to his spirit, loving through you? Listen, this is a great opportunity. Now, I will admit, I, I avoid a lot of the conflict that is online and, and these conversations that I have. But when I'm in relationships with people, my, my focus is building a relationship with someone and then finding out what they believe. And then, you know what? When you develop a friendship with somebody, they know you care about them. You can have a civil discussion about things. It's amazing. Because they know that you don't hate them. And you know they don't hate you. You come off that, that low level of communication to where you build a relationship. When possible, when it comes to you, decide in your heart, I'm going to be an instrument of peace in this. I am not panicked that I am losing my freedoms. Guess what? I'm not panicked. This Palm Sunday, this week, remember the steps of Jesus to the cross. We'll celebrate the empty tomb next week. We take heart. We see things unraveling around us in the world. We experience trouble. We experience pain that comes in a fallen world. We take heart because when you have Jesus, you have shalom. You have peace that passes understanding. Listen, run to him. Cling to him. Walk with him today. Let's pray. God, thank you for Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you have pursued us from the beginning of time. You run after us, holding out peace. And yet we run and we, we fight. We war. We war with you. We war with one another. We war within. God, may we lay down our arms this morning. Whatever way that we're trying to fight our own fight, and may we come to the foot of the cross. Lord Jesus, look on our hearts. Draw us, Holy Spirit. Draw us closer to the Savior. May we let go of the things of the world. May we let go of, of simply trying to prove our point. In this culture where we're so divided, in our neighborhoods where there's so much conflict, may we be strategizing in such a way that we move through love. We move through the power of your Holy Spirit in the peace that we stand in, that we might be usable in your hands in the most difficult places, in the lives of those with the most Hardened hearts, Lord, you can melt the heart of stone.
and you want to work through us. You've chosen to move through us, Lord. So may we be um, those that walk in peace, that know peace, Lord, and, and, and are vehicles of that peace. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name.